Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Vandalia, Michigan campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. If you tried to describe what God is like, it could be difficult or daunting. But when the people who wrote the Bible pondered the mystery of God, they consistently described God's character in this way compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, overflowing with loyal love and faithfulness. We're going to look at the second key word in this statement, gracious. The Hebrew word is chanun, which is related to the Hebrew noun chen. This word chen is often translated as grace or favor, and if you study how this word is used throughout the Bible, you find a fascinating story. One meaning of chen is delightful or favorable. In the Psalms, a skilled poet is said to have lips of chen. That is, he can craft beautiful words that bring delight. Or a dazzling piece of jewelry is an ornament of chen. It attracts attention and favor. This is why chen is often the word used to describe a gift given with delight or favor. In these cases, chen could be translated as grace. Like in the story of Esther, who approaches the king of Persia to ask that she and her people be spared from death. She calls this a request for chen. And because the king delights in Esther, he favors her and grants her wish. So, giving a gift of favor is chen because it's motivated by delight. And the most extreme kind of chen is showing favor to someone who should get what they deserve, not a generous gift. Like Jacob, who cheated his brother Esau, ran away, and then after 20 years wants to come back and make things right. So he comes to Esau asking, may I find chen in your eyes? Jacob isn't asking for what is fair, but for favor. And surprisingly, that's what Esau gives him. He chooses to delight in his brother Jacob and show him grace that he doesn't deserve. Now, chen requires a generous spirit, which people sometimes have. But in the Bible, the one who shows more chen than anyone else is God. Like when God rescued the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, and they quickly betray him by giving their allegiance to a golden idol as their God. But then, Moses steps in and asks God to consider giving a gift that they don't deserve. And God says, yes, by showing the ultimate act of chen, forgiveness and a promise to be with these people. This character trait of God is so reliable that over 40 times in the book of Psalms, people cry out for God's chen when they're sick or in danger or when the Israelites are in exile. And the biblical prophets like Isaiah looked back to God's chen in the past and boldly declared that God will one day show chen to his people by delivering them and all creation from death and ruin. Now, when we turn to the authors of the New Testament, they describe God's chen with the Greek word charis, which means gracious gift. Like when we're introduced to Jesus in the Gospel of John, we're told that Jesus is God's glorious charis become human, sent into a world of people trapped in darkness and death. Because according to the Apostle Paul, we're like the living dead. God has handed humanity over to the destructive consequences of our selfish decisions. But, Paul says, God is rich in mercy, and by his charis, he's rescued us. He's talking about how Jesus' life, death, and resurrection are offered to us as a generous gift of life that is more powerful than death. And as with any gift, all one has to do 
is receive it. So now you can see why the biblical authors talk so much about this description of God's character throughout the Bible. When people are willing to own their failures and ask God for chen, he has a consistent and generous response. God gives the gift of himself, his life, and his love. And this is what it means that God is gracious. All right, so the Hebrew word was hen. And so let's all together say out loud, hen. Ready? One, two, three. Kazuntite. <laughs> I thought it was funny. <laughs> hen! Hen! <laughs> hen! He gets it. <laughs> That's a bad joke. I hope that comedian is better at the three of us. Um, so Hebrew word uh, hen is gracious, and the Greek word is charis, which we should be familiar with, the word we get uh, grace from. And this is how God describes himself. Um, we're going to read from Exodus 34. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Cut two tablets of stone like the first ones, and I will write on these tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. So be ready in the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself to me there on top of the mountain. No man shall come up with you and let no man be seen throughout all the mountain. Let neither flocks nor herd feed before that mountain. So he, Moses, cut two tablets of stone like the first ones. Then Moses rose early in the morning and went up Mount Sinai and the Lord, as the Lord had commanded him, and he took in his hands and the two tablets of stone. Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. This statement, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful, gracious, long-suffering, aboundness in goodness and truth are five key primary attributes, characteristics of God that describe what God is like in God's own words. So we're going to talk through each one of those. And that little cartoon was about the one gracious. And that's the one we're going to talk about today. This experience of Moses was actually getting the second copy. Did you know there was two copies of the Ten Commandments? The second copy of the Ten Commandments because the first uh, copy, the first set of tablets, uh, Moses uh, broke when he descended Mount Sinai. Uh, when he saw all of Israel worshiping the golden calf. So the, the, the lesson we learn from that is that the law was completely broken before Moses even made it to the bottom of the mountain. You know? You think about that. And we had to get another copy because the purpose of the law was not to make mankind perfect, okay? but to reveal how imperfect we were. There was never any chance that mankind could keep all of the law. And that's illustrated so clearly, even in that first story. And it, it exists, and it still exists, to reveal our need for grace. God's characteristic of graciousness. Uh, Moses, uh, on that mountain, when he went up, he was in God's presence for 40 days without food or water. And this is a time that he came down, and he was shining with the glory of God to the point that they covered him. 
And so that was a pretty powerful experience. <clears throat> and Moses, when he was on the mountain, he asked to see, see God's glory. And this, again, this is, a, is a part of the story where God hides him. He says, you can't see me because if you see me, you'll die. But I'll, I'll hide you in the cleft of the rock and uh, I'll cover you, but you'll see the, the afterglow of my glory. This is, this is the experience. And, and what Moses saw, or the revelation of God's glory, is actually his name. And this is where, in the Bible, names are very significant. They, they, are, um, they, they communicate the character. And so when God proclaimed his name to Moses, that was his glory... Right? captured in, in words for us to understand. And it is the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth. So just imagine you being Moses, after spending that time on the mountain and being hidden in the cleft. And, and I'm sure there was other manifestations of God's glory, but hearing the name of God, no doubt thundering through the cave as you were hiding in there knowing that you were so close to God that if you were exposed, you would die, but you were close enough to feel Him and to hear Him. That's amazing, isn't it? <clears throat> well, that's, that's actually what God wants each and every one of us to experience in some degree. Thankfully, we don't have to climb a mountain, right? Uh, we just have to make time in our lives uh, to open our ears to Him. So grace is not a New Testament idea, right? It's all the way through. And if you read that whole chapter from, uh, or that whole section uh, from uh, uh, Exodus, uh, grace is all over that. It's one of the defining attributes of God's unchanging character. And the law was actually given as an act of grace. Uh, and there's, there's too much of a dichotomy in the minds of most Christians, and we think that the law was kind of bad, and God was mad. <laughs> so, well, Jesus came to save, save us from that mad God. That's, that could not be farther from the truth. Right? Because the law was given, motivated by God's grace. To show us how broken we are so that we could come into relationship with Him and experience His graciousness. Right? And so gracious is one of the first words God's, God uses to describe His character. But what does that mean? What does gracious mean? And, you know, we use it, oh, he's just a very gracious person. So you think, you know, well, they're nice to be around and they serve good food or whatever. <laughs> soft-spoken. But it actually means to bend or stoop. This is the literal definition. To bend or stoop in kindness to an inferior. Right? So when, when someone that is superior sees someone that is inferior for whatever reason, in status and power and, and strength, they, they, they bow down. It's like, it's like uh, when, when you see a little kid and you, and you get down on their level so that you can see them eye to eye. Right? So that they're not intimidated by you. God does that. It's, that's His inherent nature. To not lord over, but to bow down. Alright? And, and when we're called to bow down, it's not out of just fear or, uh, you know, um, to be made small. It's actually to imitate God. Because God's nature is to bow down. To come on our level. <clears throat> 
and to, to, to favor, to bestow, which means to give, to show favor, to be gracious or merciful, to have or show mercy. So that's, that's what the word means. It also means to delight. Okay? Being delightful. Have you ever, you know someone that's just delightful to be around? You just love being in their presence because they're, they're always happy. They're glad to see you. Um, and, and, and when you're with them, you feel better. Okay? That is an essential defining characteristic of God. All right? It means a gift or generosity, a gift motivated by delight and favor. This is an essential characteristic of God. God likes to give away stuff. God's God, as Santa Claus is a, is a is like a, a poor representation of something that's true about God. He likes to give gifts, all right, not just one day a year, and not just to those who deserve it. God gives gifts to those who don't deserve it. And it, the gift is motivated not out of obligation, but out of delight. You know, I love to give my granddaughters and my grandchildren, Orson had his second birthday. Uh, I love it when the gift we give is his favorite. <laughs> That's happened twice. <laughs> yeah. And you can go to my Facebook and watch the video of it. <laughs> this is a little airplane we gave him. Um, and... Uh, and that's the characteristic of God. When you give something, it's because you want them to be happy, and you're happy for them to be happy. Um, but is this how we picture God? And unfortunately, uh, too often we don't. Is this how we communicate God to others? Unfortunately, too often we don't. We present first God is it angry or mean because we think he's angry or, uh, you know, we've experienced. God does uh, express anger. But God in his infinite capacity can be angry at uh, destructive behavior, which is known as sin, and be delighted uh, completely uh, at, at the knowledge of who you are completely at the same time. It's not contradictory. We generally can only experience one emotion at a time. Okay? But God experiences all of them all of the time at their greatest capacity. Alright? And so even his anger doesn't diminish his graciousness, his delight. Big, big, huge, important thing that we need to understand. Because if we don't have that, we aren't approaching. This is this is something this is a little intense, okay? <clears throat> All right. And so if, if you define God in a way that is not accurate to who God actually is, then is your definition of God God? What is it? What is something you worship that's not God? <gasps> it's a false God. It's an idol. And so if you don't get the understanding of God right, you're pursuing something that's not God, and that itself is idolatry. And so this is really important that we know the, the attributes of God. And his, one of his primary attributes that he emphasizes, this, this phrase, the Lord, the Lord God, gracious and merciful, uh, this repeated many, 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 many times throughout Scripture. 
He's gracious. He's generous. Uh, God is always motivated by delight and grace, even when we don't deserve it. All right? And so when you sin, when you've fallen short, yeah, grieve that sin, repent, but realize that God is there waiting for you with delight to welcome you back. And I love the example that they give in that uh, animation of Jacob and Esau. That's from Genesis 33. It says, when Esau said, um, okay, so what happened was, Jacob was coming back after many years. He had fled Esau, his brother, and he 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 brought his whole family in waves. And with each each wave of the family would would include gifts for Esau because he was afraid Esau, who was a man of war, was going to come and kill him <laughs> because he had stolen stuff from him. And Esau finally met him and was like, "What do you mean by all this company which I've met? All these people coming with gifts and." And Esau said, these are to find grace in the sight of my Lord. Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. And Jacob said, no, please. If, if I have now found grace in your sight, then receive my present from my hand. Inasmuch as I have seen your face as though I had seen the face of God and you were pleased with me. He's describing interaction with God. This is Jacob having himself wrestled with God and, and experienced God. Please take my blessing that is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me and because I have enough. So he urged him and he took it. Esau ended up taking the gifts as an act uh, uh, to honor Jacob's um, humility. Um, Jacob didn't deserve grace or favor from Esau. Right? He had stolen Esau's birthright by trickery and deceit and also Esau's blessing from uh, his father. And then he ran away and avoided him for 20 years. And so in this story, we see Jacob coming and bowing before. Remember, gracious means bowing before his brother and giving him gifts. right? Because he wanted to communicate that he was delighted to see his brother and wanted to restore relationship. Okay, so Jacob displays graciousness in hopes of receiving a return of grace from Esau, which in fact he did receive. And and Esau welcomed him back and they ended up living in the same region uh, for the rest of their lives. Uh, Their relationship, big idea here, was restored after decades of separation by grace. Grace, graciousness, restores broken relationships. And uh, that's what God uh, desires for every man, woman, and child, and child on planet Earth. That's what He desires for you to have a completely restored relationship with Him. And throughout the prophets, there's prophecies concerning God's graciousness. And here one in Isaiah chapter 30, it says, The Lord will wait that He may be gracious to you. And therefore, he will be exalted, that he may have mercy on you. For the Lord is a God of justice or fairness. Blessed are all those who wait for him. For the people shall dwell in Zion at Jerusalem. You shall weep no more. He will be very gracious to you at the sound of your cry. When he hears it, he will answer you. 
This is a prophecy concerning the coming Messiah when the nation of Israel will be restored. The message translates this. I kind of like the uh, right to the point that the message puts it, the wording. It says, but God's not finished. Aren't you happy he's not finished? How many are happy about that, right? He's waiting to be gracious for you. Right? Remember? And that gracious means to get down on your level, to honor you, to favor you, to be uh, d- to delight in you. He wants to do that. He's gathering strength to show mercy to you. God takes the time to do everything right. Everything. Those who wait for Him are the lucky ones. Oh yes, people of Zion, citizens of Jerusalem, your time of tears is over. Cry for help and you'll find it's grace and more grace. The moment He hears, He'll answer. And so as uh, I think Justin said, you know, sometimes we come and greet and we need to acknowledge that's okay. Bring that to Him and you'll find grace. Whatever you're going through in life, if you come to God, God and get into His presence, expect grace. Expect delight. Expect to realize God is happy you're taking time to be with Him. All right? Throughout Scripture, God is consistently gracious even though humanity continually rebelled against Him to their own destruction. And that's why we have the story of the Bible that for all of those centuries and centuries and generation after generation after all those mistakes, God's graciousness never ends. In fact, it culminates in the ultimate expression of grace. And this prophecy in Isaiah as well as many other is speaking about the grace that would come through the Messiah, uh, the Lord Jesus. So the law was given, uh, motivated out of grace, to reveal our brokenness and our need for a Savior. Uh, and, And that Savior comes to enable us to live in righteousness. The law reveals that we can't do it on our own. We need help, and that help is Jesus. And so here we transition from the Hebrew chen, graciousness, to the Greek, which is charis, um, uh, translated grace. Uh, The word charis is, uh, of course, we're saved by grace, but it's a bigger idea than that. And it embodies everything that the Old Testament word graciousness can uh, embody. It's the same attribute now being revealed in Christ. As the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of Him and cried out, saying, This uh, was He of whom I said, He who comes after Me is preferred before Me, for He was before Me. And of His fullness we have all received grace for grace. Sounds like that Old Testament prophecy, doesn't it? For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the ultimate expression of grace. God's grace. Jesus is God's grace embodied in a human being. And so if you want to see what graciousness is, if you want to see what God's character is, uh, is you look at Jesus and you'll see how he treats those who were 
uh, inferior to him. How he would talk to people caught in sin. How he would heal those who were sick. How he would touch those who were untouchable. That's God's graciousness. All right. God, uh, in Jesus, God is stooping down in kindness, motivated by His love and delight for us to bestow on us a gift we don't deserve. Right? The gift of salvation. Salvation is not just escaping hell. Right? It's so much more. It's spending eternity with Him. Alright? That's really what it's all about. That is heaven. Okay? And being apart from Him is hell. In the same way that Esau had to accept the gift offered to him from Jacob in order for their relationship to be restored, we have to accept the gift from God given through Jesus Christ, forgiveness of sin, right? He comes with a gift, but you don't get the gift if you don't receive it. It's simply receiving what God offers freely and understanding it's not judgment. It's actually that favor, that delight, His happiness to see you. Hebrews says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy or the delight sat before Him, endured the cross, scorning the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. On the cross, Jesus endured that suffering so that you and I And every person on planet earth that accepts Him as Lord could experience His joy. Are you experiencing the fullness of God's joy? Do you know that in Greek, the word grace and the word for joy, translated joy, are from the same root word? There's a direct connection in the Greek language between grace and joy. In English, they're like different ideas. Grace is like, you know, uh, unmerited favor, you know, but it has no connection to the emotion of joy. But in, in the Greek language and in the Hebrew language, no, there's a direct connection. It is, grace is the expression of joy and delight. Okay? And so, being saved by grace, how about we translate that? And it would be appropriate. We're saved by joy. God's joy. God so loved the world. He was so motivated by His love, compassion, graciousness, His delight for the inferior broken children. It was that joy that motivated Him. For the joy set before Him, Jesus endured the cross. For the joy, what was that joy? It was the people getting saved. He saw the joy and He endeared the suffering. We're saved by God's joy so that we can enjoy His joy. So that we can have His joy. We're saved by God's grace so that we can be gracious like God. <clears throat> There's another, another aspect of grace. Because it's one thing to understand God's characteristic, but a big part of this series about identifying the attributes of God is realizing that we like uh, we need to live like God. We're called to be Christ-like, to take on the attributes of God, right? 
Okay? And, and so, what is, what, what is the purpose of this grace? What does grace, uh, is grace intended to produce? It says, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteous, and godly in this present age. So this is powerful. Grace teaches us to resist and deny behaviors and thought patterns and actions and deeds that are contrary to the nature of God, ungodliness, worldly lust, all of that stuff, and live in right relationship. Righteous uh, can be translated in right relationship. Not just abiding by all the rules, but you abide by the rules because you're in right relationship. You're filled with God's joy and grace. Uh, And looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. And and that looking forward to Christ's return who gave Himself for us that He might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify uh, for Himself His own special people, zealous for good works. So grace is meant to change us. And when you experience the graciousness of God, that is meant to cause you to be transformed. When you see Him, you become like Him. Right? Uh, we are to live different. Our motivation is to live differently, uh, not out of fear of punishment, but that joyful grace that is God's nature. <clears throat> and the realization that we've found favor, it's a gift given that we can walk in it. Jesus was motivated by joy. We need to be motivated by joy. All right? So living Christ-like doesn't mean just avoiding sin. It means living in the joy, in the grace, in the graciousness, in the delight of God. Reproducing His character in us. Right? So let me ask you, do you do this? <laughs> How good are you at this? How good are you at delighting? How good are we at delighting in others? To the degree that we're willing to suffer in order for them to see how much we delight in them. Isn't that what Jesus did? Somebody say amen. Jesus was in heaven, right? Before he was embodied, Jesus is eternal. The Bible says all things were created through and for him. And so Jesus was in heaven in the in the fullness of the, of the goodness and the beauty and the blessing of heaven and in relationship with the Father and the Holy Spirit and the hosts of heaven. But He chose to come down to earth and put on human form. Do you think that was bowing down? Do you think that was a pleasant experience for an infinite God to be squished inside of a tiny little baby's body? All right, and then to come out into a world filled with sin, rebellion. He says he came to his own, and his own rejected him. Have you ever experienced the sense of? And there's, there's, and this is really there's nothing uh, inappropriate, but when you when you interact with somebody that's really just doing something nasty and bad. And you feel kind of disgusted by it? No. Uh, have you felt that? Can you imagine what Jesus felt every minute that he was on planet Earth? Surrounded by a whole of humanity that was it, it, it completely absorbed in, in self 
uh, selfishness and sin and darkness under the, under the rule of, of Satan. Can you imagine what Jesus experienced every moment when he interacted with people that had nothing but bitterness and anger and jealousy and sin in their hearts? To the point that even his own disciples, his closest friends, rejected him, um, denied him, betrayed him and ran away. Yet all the way through that, he never lost his graciousness. So when we're around people that we don't like, in order to be God, Christ-like, we need to continue to be gracious. Even if we recognize things about them that we think is obnoxious. And we should have an easier time at this because guess what? There are things about us that they probably find obnoxious. <laughs> Amen? Except the ones that are perfect here. <laughs> All right. Jesus is near the cross because of the joy set before him. That joy was us. I already said that. We're now called to live in that same joy, delighting in those around us even when they don't deserve it. And that is how you present the gospel effectively. That is how you are a light to the world. Okay? And yes, it does mean communicating factual truths that Jesus Christ is the Lord, that He lived a sinless life, that He died on the cross, He rose from the dead. We must communicate that in the graciousness that God uh, is. And even in the giving of the law, God was gracious in that. How much more must we be gracious as we communicate the grace of God? And how much more do we need to live in that personally for ourselves? Okay, His grace, His favor, His delight is what changes us. It's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. It's God's goodness, His grace that causes us and motivates us, enables us to change. And when we begin to act in that similar way, uh, with grace towards one another and, and grace towards those who don't deserve it, we'll begin to see more and more transformation in us, in our community, in our family, in our society, in our, this generation. And boy, this generation needs a lot of grace. Amen? How do, you, how do you respond to all of this stuff that's happening in the world? We need to increase our grace. We need to be more Christ-like. In what ways can we show delight towards someone in our lives this week? I, I, I really Listen, if we don't actually do something in response to the messages, the, when you read the Bible, when you hear a sermon like this, if, if it doesn't change your behavior in some way, then we're just, we're just getting more and more religious. Okay? We're getting to be better Pharisees that know the law but don't live it. All right? So I don't want you to leave this week without having this assignment. How can you just demonstrate grace to those who least deserve it in our daily lives? Okay? So this means at work, at home with the family, dealing with a neighbor, uh, is there someone God's putting on your heart right now that you need to demonstrate more grace toward? And you know, God's really good. If you just take a moment and say, God, who needs grace? It may be someone you don't expect. And if He brings someone to mind, go out of your way 
to show them that you're happy there in your life. But they did this. So, Jesus did the ultimate act of grace on the cross before you deserved it. Show them love. Show them your delight. Show them God's delight in some way. Practical way. What is God like? He's gracious. What should we be like? We should be gracious. We need to boil that down to practical application so that people that live and see live with us and see us can go, wow, that person, they're just delightful to be around. When I'm with them, I don't know what it is, but I just sense God's goodness. So would you close, uh, join with me in prayer? We'll just close. <clears throat> yeah, Father. Actually, Luke, why don't you come up here and close? Can you do that? You got the mic? Here it is. Father, thank you for bowing and getting on our level. Not bowing to us, but just getting on our level. Jesus, thank you so much for your grace. Thank you for your salvation. Yeah, Lord, thank you. Holy Spirit, I just ask right now that you would come and minister to each heart. You know exactly what each person needs this morning. That you would back up your dump truck of grace, joy, love, peace, and just dump it all over us. Like a, like a rain, we just stand under You in line with You and we receive whatever You're dumping on us. Because the thing You dump on us actually makes us lighter. Frees us. Thank You, Lord. Right now, Lord, put in our minds the people that we need to reach out to this week and be Jesus with skin on to them. To give grace. To walk with humility. Father, forgive me personally as I've tried to take up my own rights instead of just laying myself down and saying, Lord, I am Yours. Thank you, Father. Thank you for everyone that's here, Lord. Thank you for this community. It's a blessing. It's an honor to do life with everyone here. Lord, we just ask that you would bless next week, next Sunday, that you'd prepare our hearts once again to know who you are in a better way. We love you, Jesus. In Jesus' name. So there's a prayer team.